Love Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. And welcome to our final podcast for 2013. Jim Mitchell back with you once again. And as we do each week here on Chicago's Legal Latte, today we're going to take a look at a specific topic in the field of law and, of course, dive into it to get a little better understanding of some of the nuances of the uh, of that particular area. Joining me today will be Attorney Lance Feeble of Lavelle Law Limited. We're going to discuss employment discrimination. There are a number of points of view from which we can attack this topic, and I'll do my best to hit several of those and rely on Lance's knowledge and experience to provide the information that you may need to, to better understand it. So to begin, let me first say hello to Lance, and uh, uh, very very much appreciate taking the time in a holiday season to be with us. Thanks for being here, Lance. No problem. My pleasure. So I'm, I'm guessing that the term employment discrimination can be applied pretty broadly, a lot, a lot of different areas it can cover. Can you start us off perhaps with an overview from a legal perspective of what that term means and can encompass? Sure. I mean, it generally falls under two statutory regimes, for lack of a better term. There's federal and there's state. They both generally cover the same areas. Um, you know, for example, in the state, it is uh, age, race, um, national origin, ancestry, um, marital status, disability, sexual orientation. Uh, it, it can be. A, it's a very broad range, and the federal scheme falls largely under the same types of classifications, um, although there may be different statutes that apply for each particular classification. Okay. And we're, the way I've read this and, and kind of looked at it as we prepare for the discussion is this is a, a dispute between an employer and an employee. Now, you just gave some of the characteristics. So it sounds like what we might have discussed other times in terms of you know hiring discrimination is to kind of fall in the same categories, but today we're really talking about someone who's already been hired. It can. Uh, generally, this kind of rears its head, I would say, three common times, although it can be anywhere, because um, sexual harassment is a form of discrimination. But generally, it applies, for the most part, uh, in hiring, promoting, and firing. Those are the three areas where you tend to see it the most. Okay. So we're going to talk about some of those, and, and we'll talk uh, about a couple different ways of looking at this uh, as we go through the discussion today. Now, generally, I, I know when there are discrimination situations based on you know, some of our previous conversations, this gets a little tenuous at times. Is, is employment discrimination something that can be very difficult to prove? It can be. Uh, I, I guess before I kind of jump into the specifics of kind of proving a claim or alleging a claim, it's probably better to go a little bit back in time and look at where you need to go with one of these claims. Um, 
as an initial matter, this is not something that you can immediately bring into the court system, uh, particularly under the federal scheme. If you're going to uh, sue an employer <clears throat> based on a federal statute, you cannot just run into court. You have to go through the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. They do an investigation. They make some determinations, and that's a process that has to run its course before you go to court. Um, as a general matter, if they investigate, they will either pursue charges or they will not. If they do, the case will move on. If they do not, they will give the employee what's called a right to sue letter, gives the employee 90 days to file suit in federal court or state court, most opt for federal, um, and go from there. Now, if they do not file suit in the 90 days, they lose their right to file the claim in federal court for the federal statute. The state system is a little bit different. Um, if you file a claim with the governing state authority, which is the Illinois Department of Human Rights, they will also investigate the claim, but you can actually run the whole claim through the administrative process of the Department of Human Rights. You don't need to get a right to sue letter, and generally when you file a claim with the state, they will in turn report to the EEOC that a claim has been filed. So before we jump into proving the claim, there's this whole other process you got to go through first. Well, it's funny because I, I had a couple of questions lined up here. You, you mentioned time frames, and, and um, uh, I saw an article that you recently posted at LavelleLaw.com in which you mentioned certain time periods that must be adhered to. So first mm -hmm. of all, a claim, ha claim has to be made within a certain period of time of, of the event occurring, and then there's a, a, a time period that it gets settled. Is that right? Um, you have to make the claim itself within a certain time period. Okay. I don't uh -huh. remember what that is right offhand. I want to say it's about a year. Um, but, you know, after that, the time frames start getting tighter. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, again, if the government, if you get the right to sue letter, you don't have a year. you got 90 days. Okay. So if, uh, and again, just help me through this process, if you go through the, the uh, EEOC or Illinois Department of, of Human Rights, uh, you make the claim, they determine that there is cause, and I'm, I'm using terms here that perhaps you can correct me on, but if they determine that there is reason for you to pursue, do they continue the case for you, or you then, do you then go out and get an attorney, and, and you, you're on your own, then you just have sort of their okay that this should proceed? If it's in the EEOC, a lot of times they'll pursue it on the employee's okay. behalf. Um, same is true with the Department of Human Rights. Now you do always have the option of obtaining your own counsel in either one of those instances, um, but they will proceed on your behalf in some circumstances. All right. Now I'm going to circle back to originally what, I, as, you, as you pointed out, I probably jumped ahead of ourselves in terms of whether or not it's easy to prove or not. As you, as an employee who is looking to make a claim, what what sort of proof do you need to bring to these organizations to say, here's what's happened to me? Um, you know, how do you support a claim to make sure that if you want to be successful with it, that you have some, some ground to stand on? Well, uh, that's a somewhat difficult question, but it, part of it is going to depend on the type of claim you're bringing. In other words, okay. is it age-based, race-based, um, some other classification-based, because those kind of determine the what you have to kind of show. But as a general rule, there's two types of kind of claims that end up being made. One is what's called direct evidence. The other is 
indirect evidence. And direct evidence would be kind of what it sounds like. Um, somebody tells somebody they're fired because of their race or their age or whatever the case may be. That would be direct evidence. Um, some of the things they look at there, comments, timing, things of that nature. Um, circumstantial evidence is part of this as well. Um, that goes to the timing. Um, they'll look at statistics. You know, were a bunch of older or this race people fired at the same time or not? Um, and then, you know, was the person qualified for the job, whether it's a hiring or firing or promoting situation, and did somebody else get the job that was less qualified? Those are, that's direct evidence. Those are things you would put in your complaint and say, my supervisor said this to me. Um, there's also indirect discrimination, which is a little bit more tricky. Again, that's kind of just looking at overall circumstances. It may include some pieces of direct, like timing, but it wouldn't necessarily be something that, you know, you could point to physically and say, this person said this to me. Okay, okay. So it can be fairly, fairly complex. Um, now, our, to our topic today is employment discrimination, and, and we're going to use our time up very quickly because there's a lot to talk about here. The last few minutes we've been talking about steps an employee can take and must take to file a claim. Um, let's just switch gears from here if we can for the opposite view just to, to present this. If, if you are an employer who has a claim brought against you, you know, what should your first step be? How do you react to that type of a claim? Well, the first piece of the process, and whether it's state or federal, is purely investigative. Um, so generally what I counsel clients is, you know, respond timely, give them the information you're looking for, they're looking for, uh, depending on the, which agency it's with, you may get an opportunity to file a more formal response. Um, and I've had success with that in the past where you, you just point out to the investigator that well, there's nothing here to, to go further. So that's, that's the first piece of the pie is kind of, you know, dealing with the investigative part and trying to nip this thing in the bud. Because um, if you can do that, it obviously saves you a lot of time and, and grief later. If it does get into a formal charging stage, then, then you're looking at traditional litigation with, you know, all the bells and whistles that that entails. And if you're the employer and you think you've got a good case, then you've really got to knuckle in at that point and unfortunately slug it out from there. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that um, comes up very frequently on, on the series here in any number of different topics is, you know, documentation and always keep good records. Uh, are there things that an employer can and should do as just normal course of business in terms of employee records that if they do that on a regular basis, if claims like this come up, they'll probably be better equipped to handle them? Uh, they should. I mean, you should always keep a really good personnel file. It should always have any kind of disciplinary action in there. It should also deal with complaints of the employee as well. Um, a lot of times some of these problems don't get addressed when they could, and that becomes a problem. So you, you, the better your personnel file is, the stronger your case may be, um, because a critical component generally of a lot of these claims is that the employee has to have been performing their job satisfactorily. So if you have a disgruntled employee that goes out and makes one of these claims and you're able to point to their personnel file and say, look, this person was disciplined repeatedly, and that's why we would let them go. 
then you know then the, the tenor of the case changes and it doesn't look as good for the other side as it may have at you know first blush okay now just again I uh, don't want to get too far off the beaten path here but uh, if if there's a frontline employee who is in a large corporation and they may have a couple of layers of management above them um, do they do they bring a claim against a specific manager or is it really against the corporation? I mean, is, is the corporation ultimately always the one responsible that has to, to respond and, and protect themselves? It's generally the corporation. I've seen individuals named, and, and you can do it. Um, certainly, there can be some liability. You know, that that tends to be more problematic in the sexual harassment claim type mm-hmm. arena um, just because of kind of falling outside the scope of what an employee is supposed to do. Now, you know, most employees, supervisors, have the ability to terminate somebody. So, you know, implicating them, you're going to implicate the company generally most of the time. Sexual harassment's a little bit different just because of what's involved. But that tends to have, see more person named, whereas the age, race type discrimination tends to generally see the company you know, solely named as opposed to an individual. All right, so we've got just a little under a minute left here. Why don't you give us a recap, especially I would, I would say let's start, you know, with the employee side. If they feel there's an issue, what should they do? What's the process they should follow to make sure that they are um, getting the opportunity to have their concerns heard? Well, I think the first step for any employee is to try and address it with the employer. That may or may not be you know, successful avenue, particularly if you're talking about a terminated employee. Your next step is to go to the appropriate agency as quickly as you can. You have the option of state or federal. Um, you know, if you go to the state, they'll generally report to the federal. If you go to the federal, they'll handle it all themselves right there. But it's critical you get that done as soon as you can. Timing issues, evidence issues, all kinds of reasons you want to do it quickly. Uh, Next step is if you go through the EEOC, they give you the 90-day right to sue. You need to basically stay on top of that because if you blow the 90 days, you have no claim anymore. Uh, The state's a little bit more lenient with timing, but you still want to be on the ball with that. Um, Past that, you want to have as good a record as you personally can of what's happened. Handwritten notes, things of that nature. Flip it for the employer. Um, They want to definitely respond to any investigative process that goes on. You want to cooperate as much as you humanly can and get your side of the story out there so that the investigator looks at it and says, "Mm, there's probably not substantial evidence, let's not move forward. Last two pieces of advice for employers. One, keep good personnel files that will help your case at the end. And two, don't be afraid to terminate an employee. Illinois is an at-will state. There are some defenses built into any kind of discrimination claim, such as, you know, if a company's cutting people, their race and age don't tend to be as important if the business can show, hey, the real reason we're letting people go is not age or race. It's that we're cutting back. So businesses are not totally flat-footed when it comes to this. Well, great. I thank uh, Lance Ebel for a quick recap there and uh, certainly appreciate his time. Thank you for listening. We'll be back, of course, after the first of the year with another uh, set of podcasts here brought to you by the folks at LavelleLaw.com or Lavelle Law Limited. You can find their information at LavelleLaw.com. Have a great new year, everyone. Thanks for listening.